As is typical of my reflections on the readings, I, I tend to get interested in a little corner of the scripture readings. Because I've preached on the big themes so many times, I, I would assume that most of you are somewhat familiar with the imagery of John the Baptist and how he's the last of the Old Testament prophets and how he heralds the coming of the kingdom and all that stuff. I'm, I'm pretty sure most of you heard those sermons before. And what I'm going to do today is just share some of my own reflections on this passage um, based on the hermeneutical framework that I tend to use, which is to say that I don't, like I said um, on, on Advent 1, um, I don't see this in terms of a literal coming of an authoritarian Jesus who will take over and smite the bad guys and inaugurate a thousand-year reign. I don't, I don't go literal. I just don't. Um, I, uh, what I believe is that God is trying to talk to us through the scriptures and through the events of history, with, with particularly those that involve Jesus. And so Jesus came, lived, taught, died, rose again, and we as the followers of Jesus are left trying to figure out what God was trying to tell us. And so we write down the best reflections we have. We've accumulated the reflections of Judaism that give context to who Jesus was, and so we look for who Jesus is and was and what it all means. And when we look at the, the imagery of John the Baptist and this tradition of Advent where we are, we are trying to prepare in our hearts a way for the Messiah to come, I am much less interested in a Messiah up there as I am in a Messiah in here. And so I see all of this image of the waiting for Jesus to come, the birth of Jesus on that first Christmas morn as a, as a message from God about spiritual growth, about the purpose for which we were made, that we are children of God and that we were made in order to grow into the image and likeness of God. And so we say that as Jesus was, so we are called to be. Not because we are awesome and powerful like Jesus, but because Jesus shows us the inverse of that, that it's the vulnerability, the compassion, the care for others that is the true greatness. And if we are to be true followers of Jesus, we need to open our hearts to be like that and to find the presence and nearness of God in that self-emptying, kenotic process of being like Jesus. So we don't fill ourselves by being like Jesus. We empty ourselves in order to be like Jesus. We empty ourselves of ourselves. So that's the hermeneutical framework. That's the presumption I have going into these readings. And so I'm, I'm looking at this stuff about preparing your hearts. There, there's this winnowing and threshing imagery that John Baptist is using. There is this, this purification process that John is talking about where we as Israel need to be purified for the coming of the Messiah who will be a judge and will in fact complete the process much more vigorously than John the Baptist is doing. And that's, the, that's what John was doing. And from this perspective of how this teaches us about something in the spiritual journey in our own hearts, um, I'm, I'm struck again by how the, the business of winnowing and purification and burning of the chaff has so much relevance in my own quest to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Because when I try to be a faithful servant of Christ, I see a lot of chaff in my life and in my heart and a lot of stuff that really needs to be burnt away because I ain't there. 
and I wish I were. My deepest self wants to be there, and yet I'm not. And so I have to empty myself again and again and again. And Advent is something I keep coming to again and again and again. I need to remind myself that I need to empty and prepare and burn the garbage and refine what's good. And that, that's the spiritual imagery of Advent. Now, with that as the big picture, here's the little interesting bit from today's readings. So when we look at the qualities of the Messiah that Isaiah was pointing to and that gets picked up in our Christian understanding of who Jesus is, is that the, the little bit that caught my eye this time around was that the, the true Messiah will not judge by what his eyes see or by what his ears hear. And that's very interesting to me in an age of disinformation because you can go the wrong way with that. Oh, so evidence doesn't matter. Great. It's whatever my opinion is. Um, and I don't think that's what it's about as well, at all. Um, in fact, the, the Isaiah passage itself goes right into this very important word just a few sentences later, a few words later, um, which is the word wisdom. And what it gets at is that ancient sense that was as true then as it is today, that appearances can be deceiving. And that a, a righteous judge, someone that brings peace and justice, can see past the surface appearance to the heart of things. And that is something that is as true today as it ever was. And so that's really where my thoughts today go, because particularly in an age of connectivity and social media, we live in in an age of presentation and appearance, Um, that it doesn't matter who you really are, it's who you present yourself as being. And before there was social media, we would present ourselves by how we dressed, how we looked, how we talked, who we associated with, and we would present an image to the world of what we want them to think about us. And as Christians, we would rightly say, that's not the important thing. The important thing's in your heart. And we live in an environment where that that image and that self-presentation is just turbocharged. Um, And one of the things that I encountered early in my adult life was that particularly when it comes to things that are laudable in society, that society recognizes as good and beautiful and awesome, that the, the, the very worst of us are the most anxious to present themselves as being in that camp, as being the very best of us. Um, and so you have John the Baptist with that wonderful paragraph where the Pharisees and the Sadducees show up to be baptized. And he says, you brood of vipers. Just, just this horrible, aggressive, John, that's not very nice. Um, and he's like, you are the folks that are the most invested in presenting as if you were the best of the children of Israel, but the heart is not there. You are, you're all invested in your appearance and in your social status and in what you get out of your presentation of yourself as a Pharisee or a Sadducee. And what this baptism about is something on the inside, and you're never going to get it as long as you're attached to what you're presenting on the outside. So we've got to go past the seeming into the being. And um, 
And this, this really hits home to me because of those early adulthood experiences. I'll give you one example from my, my time in seminary. I was living in residence for one of the years with Andrea. And along with other students, adult students, married sometimes with kids, living in residence, we had a little on-campus community as well as we were all in classes together. Um, and um, there was one fellow uh, who shall remain nameless who was always the one to correct your language because it wasn't inclusive enough. In today's language, he was the wokest of the woke. Um, and those of us who lived on campus knew that at night he was the one who beat his wife. And yet, in public, no one was more a feminist than him. Right? And of course that makes sense. Now, at 57, of course, of course the abuser has to cloak himself in the language of virtue. Because you have to present yourself and you're more invested and present yourself as the opposite of what you really are. And the, that, that business of cloaking yourself in the opposite had other resonances. I mean, it, it's so true politically. Um, I mean, in Canada here, this business of naming acts after what you want people to think the act does as opposed to what the act actually does. Um, classic um, PR, naming an act as, a, as an act of PR. Um, it is, is exactly the same vein. And certainly historically, I'm, I'm uh, indebted to a particular philosopher who um, loved to point out contradictions and paradoxes, one of which was um, when we moved into the Cold War after World War II, the American Department of War, as soon as it changed from defending against the aggressions of Germany, shifted into an aggressive expansionistic operation across the globe, it got renamed from the Department of War to the Department of Defense. <laughs> because we're defending democracy, which means we, it looks like we're engage, engaging in aggressive actions and invasions all over the world, and we are, but that's not what we're really doing, right? Um, and so there's this there's this, this truth in the opposite that keeps springing up, particularly about the very best and worst things in human life, that the worst things in human life often masquerade as the best. And what we need and what we believe the Messiah has is the wisdom to see through the seeming to the being. Now, with that as the problem uh, that's being named um, in the scriptures today, and from the hermeneutical framework that we are talking not about an external Messiah who's going to come and smite the bad guys and make everything better, but as some reality that is, that is waiting to be born in our own hearts. Part of that preparation is to consistently devote ourselves to what is real as opposed to what seems to be real. And to seek that value, that, that virtue of wisdom in our ongoing Christian journey. What does wisdom look like? And it usually doesn't look like emotional reactivity. It also doesn't look like ideological conformity. It, it is, it is a, it's a way of thinking slowly. Um, beware thinking quickly. Because if you're thinking quickly, it's usually based on what your eyes are seeing and what your ears are hearing. There's a slow thinking that we need to cultivate and that all the mystics and great saints have talked about cultivating. This business of going on retreat and spending time in silence to hear your own heart, 
and what's even underneath your own heart, the Holy Spirit that is trying to get your attention, but that you're too busy fretting about all the things you fret about in order to be able to hear. And so we learn to think slowly. So part of that Advent preparation is a slowing down. And I say this as we're prepping for Christmas. I know. But this is why we don't celebrate Christmas and Advent. Because Advent matters. Advent's important. It's about learning to slow down, learning to listen, learning to winnow the chaff from the wheat, throw out the garbage and and grab hold of what is true and good and beautiful. And that takes this discipline. It takes a commitment to wisdom. And it takes a commitment to look past the seeming to the truth of things. And that is a gift that we have. We as Christians know how to do this collectively. And if we double down on that and live into it, then the saying that was written will be true, that the whole world will look to the body of Christ for these virtues, for those who will not judge by what their eyes see but what their ears, and what their ears hear, but with justice they will judge the world. Right? We, as the body of Christ, carry that mission and that responsibility and that potential. And we have to learn to do it, and we're going to be, we're going to mess up, we're going to be imperfect at it, but that's our calling, and that is what the Holy Spirit is waiting to help us to do if only we open ourselves to its work and its presence in the deep places in our heart, um, which we normally are too busy to notice. So in this Advent season, as we continue to to prepare in our hearts for the coming of the Messiah, we do that by by thinking slowly, thinking deeply, looking at the world in which we live and our lives and the choices that are before us with those eyes of wisdom as best we can um, to see past the seeming to the being and see where Christ might be being born even now if we have the eyes to see it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.